Guy Adami here. I'm joined by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. It's, you believe this, Dan, Tuesday, March 2nd, the macro setup brought to you by our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. By the way, Dan, later we're going to be joined by Peter Hanks, one of the strategists at Daily FX, but incredible week since our last macro setup. How are you, Dan Nathan? Doing great, Guy Donnie. Yeah, there has been a bit of volatility here. It's kind of interesting when you think about, you know, the year that we had in 2020 in in risk markets. There was obviously, you know, um, a black swan that created um, the sort of price action to the downside off of a period of, I would say, euphoric sentiment in the lead up in 2020 to that crash that we saw in equity markets. Um, but you know, it's been a kind of one way train. Um, for the last almost year now. Yep. And so, you know, coming into 2021, I think there um, was a lot of excitement looking past some of the, the kind of the worst um, economic scars, the worst health scars, um, you know, that, that, that kind of really plagued the markets in 2020, or at least early. Um, but we've had a little volatility here, you know, I mean, we the have. markets have had a couple peak to trough declines. I think in January, what was that? About 4% in the S&P 500, about 3%. Um, last week, but after a day like yesterday in the stock market, we're just screaming, you know what I mean? It makes you really think about some of those shorts you're looking to lay into a little bit. Things that make you go home. So Dan, you yeah. know, I used to watch uh, Dr. J, you might know him as Julius Irving played yeah. for the, obviously remember the Nets of New York back yeah. in the day. And then he played for the Philadelphia 76ers. I mentioned that because a lot of people thought uh, he was from another planet, green eyes, huge hands, game that nobody have ever seen. And people liken my basketball game to that as well. But I can assure you that Dr. J was not an alien, nor am I. I only mention that because we're both human beings. And yeah. as a human being, this whole vaccine, all the news about the vaccines have been wonderful. And then yeah. today we're hearing that Merck's going to help J&J with the rollout. So great news on the vaccine front. What I would say, though, great news on the vaccine front, great news for the economy. And I'll continue to say this. I'm not necessarily sure. That's going to be great news for the broader market. But we'll see. Right now, the market seems to think that it is, Dan. Well, I mean, you just have these competing tailwinds, if you think about it. So not only do we have the vaccine rollout really kind of going better than expected, but like you said, this Johnson & Johnson um, vaccine, which would be the third. So we have Pfizer, we have Moderna, and now we have um, Johnson & Johnson. You just mentioned Merck helping Johnson & Johnson. I mean, we are going to be, um, you know, probably have too much of the vaccine um, in uh, three or four months or so. So what does that mean on the back of an economy that's overheating, the Fed that keeps telling us they're going to let inflation run hot? We are seeing measures of inflation run a little hot. You know, some of the data that we've seen, the ISM um, over the last week has been at, you know, decade um, highs, that sort of thing. I think it's important to remember that, yeah, those are decade highs. Where are they coming from, you know, and what did they take to get there? And we're just kind of on the precipice of not another nearly $2 trillion in fiscal stimulus. So all of that is kind of competing for each other. I, I just worry, you know, to your point, Guy, is that it's really hard to find anybody bearish on equities, um, the euphoric sentiment towards things like crypto right now and this kind of further or future utopia of decentralized finance and, and that sort of thing, um, you know, the, the kind of disruption that a lot of people are placing um, on a lot of these protocols, I think is really interesting, but it all speaks to the fact that, 
despite rising rates, you know, people are starting to explain away why rising rates is really good for all of this. And, and I think you have a different take on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, falling rates is good for the stock market. Rising yeah. rates is good for the stock market. Falling dollar. Everything's good for the stock market. And quite frankly, you know, that with that, with the exception of a couple of instances, which you've mentioned and a few more over the last couple of years, that's been true. I mean, the stock market, you know, with, we're within a whisper of an all time high in the S&P 500. Obviously, the Nasdaq sold off a bit, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Everything seems to be coming up roses, as they say. What I would submit, you know, people say how the stock market's forward-looking. Well, it better be forward-looking into the fall because, in my opinion, um, you're right about the vaccines. Things are going to look great. People are going to be out. Um, this reopen trade is going to be alive and well, but that doesn't mean the stock market show up on the back of it. Quite frankly, that could be really negative for the stock market because I think people are going to start to question why the Fed's still in the game. And oh, by the way, even without that $1.9 trillion stimulus or relief package, whatever you call it, uh, the federal debt in this country is going to approach yeah. $28 trillion over the next couple of weeks. Why do I mention that? Because last I looked, GDP in this country is about $21 trillion. So you're talking about a debt to GDP levels of about I don't know, it's called 135% or so, 140%. And then you tack on that $2 trillion on the back of it, and you can do the math, Dan. 30 over 20 is about 150. See what I did there? I went to school. Yeah. I know you did as well. Anyway, I'm yeah. concerned about that, and I think there's going to be – that, to me, is sort of the line of demarcation. I think the market's going to start to take its cues from the debt problem that not only we have here, but we have globally. Well, it's interesting, you know, so you're talking about um, federal debt here, and it's been a huge wealth transfer, right? So there's two aspects of this is that, you know, balance sheets, consumer balance sheets are in great shape, corporate balance sheets are in great shape. Um, it's really just the federal deficit kind of keeping things afloat. And so that transfers into risk assets, which is why, to your point, you're saying that everything, well, I don't know what you said, turns up roses for the stock market. Um, and it's been that way, right? So let's just look at the um, S&P 500 here. Yeah, we but before a, you go to that, yeah. Dan, I know we're on a sort of a clock, so yeah. Peter Hanks, what, what you should have said was, this is sort of the Ethel, Ethel Merman market. Everything's coming up roses. I know that sort of probably yeah. dates you, but I know some of our older fans at IG actually, and the macro setup. Yeah. Yes, Dan? Actually, it dates you, brother. All right. Let's look at this SPX chart here real quickly. <laughs> One year chart. You know, look at that from those September lows. Um, you know, we've had a couple sell-offs, you know, if you look at um, that September um, high to the September low, and then again, from the mid-October high to the early November low, um, and then we started to get the vaccine news. Since the vaccine news, we've been in this uptrend here. Um, we bounced a couple times off of that in late January after that three and a half, four percent sell-off in the SPX. Then we had about a 3%, we made a new high and about a 3% sell-off. So kind of, I think you really have to watch that kind of 3,800 um, level in the SPX cash. I want to go to yeah. the two and I want to let this you is going to yeah, tell the is, story. So this, this tells us the right story, Dan. This yeah. is the chart that you drew. I, great job with the lines, yeah. by the way. Thank and you. a lot of people would say we're coming to that point where we're either going to break out strong to the upside or we're going to have that move to the downside. Now, I look at this and say, you know, where are we more vulnerable? What is the steeper line? That's yeah. the way I look at this chart. And obviously, the steeper line is the uptrend line. So the vulnerability is there. Other people read it differently. I will tell you, though, to let the charts do the work for you. And Dan has outlined it really well. So you're going to have either this huge breakout above 4,000-ish in the S&P 500. By the way, it closed above there, and it's sort of Katie barred the door, just another sort of one of those dopey sayings. And on the Very downside, dopey. to Dan's point, 3,800, and you got to watch out below. So 
To me, the steeper line is the vulnerability. That's what I'd be trading against, Dan Nathan. Yeah, you know, and again, going back to all those tailwinds, the stimulus, the vaccines, the other side of the pandemic, that sort of thing. I mean, come on, if you're a stock market investor and you believe in some of this new disruptive technology um, and you believe that the adoption that we've seen over um, some of these technologies over the last year during the pandemic is going to be the next wave of a, um, you know, a bull market, you want to see some of the froth taken out. So I see if you break that uptrend, you know, I'd love to see somewhere a retest of kind of 3,600, which was kind of the breakout level um, back in September or so. It failed there a little bit and then ultimately broke out again. But 3,600 would be a really great washout. And I think a really good opportunity, um, you know, to get back in there. Let's look at the NASDAQ because we know that the NASDAQ, you know, the NASDAQ 100 in particular, the MAGA complex, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, let's throw in Facebook, call it um, F MAGA. You got about 45% of the NASDAQ 100. Um, they did huge heavy lifting um, last year. You've seen this nice uptrend. This is just a six month chart here, but we just broke that uptrend. And the NASDAQ yes, is heavy relative to the SP and clearly relative to the Russell 2000. What does it mean to you that some of the biggest names in the market, some of the biggest winners um, last year, um, are now underperforming? Those have been your generals, right? And and why do we mention them so often? Because think about the market cap that they represent in terms of how important they are to the broader market. Now, the bulls will say it, and to a certain extent correctly, you're going to see the baton being passed from sort of the third anchor, third runner in in, in the in the heat to the to the ones that's going to take us home uh, in in the final in the final section of that yeah. race, right? What do they call that? The anchor leg. I I'm would not, say I'm this. Not loving, I'm not loving what you did here. It wasn't the smoothest yeah. thing. And you're a guy. Let, let me just tell you this. I was on. It was in the car. I was driving up to see my parents upstate New York Thursday during Fast Money, and I'm listening to you guys on Sirius. And you know, I really generally like to look at you and Karen and Tim and Mel and all that sort of stuff. But I'm listening to you, and all of a sudden, you start riffing on something. You said, "Hey, Mel, have you ever scuba dived before?" And she's looking at you and like, uh, and then you're like, "Just bear with me for a second here." And you came up with this amazing analogy i was like literally i got the bends listening to it it was that mm -hmm. good what you just did right here for our macro setup fans was the really, opposite of that it was yes, the opposite. i held myself very I disappointing couldn't think, i couldn't think of the anchor leg for some reason i'm you know i don't i'm sorry All but right. the scuba well, will come to in a minute but in enough. terms of this what i was going to say was if you pass a baton if, yeah. if the market goes from this growth to value the value names don't have the they don't have the strength to hold up this broader market. So you're going from something that's 35%-ish right. to something that's less than 10. And I think that the S&P or the NASDAQ can hold and, and continue to move higher in the wake of that, I think is foolish. So I think we mentioned the FMAGA complex for exactly that reason. They've carried us higher, but if they give up the ghost, uh, there's not going to be enough heft for the market to stay at these levels, in my opinion. All right. So you said give up the ghost. I, what do you think when you hear people, pundits on TV say, give, give up the goat? What do you want to say to them? Is that a thing with you or no? Because no, I, you know, no, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things I'd like to say to them, but none of them I can repeat in this forum. By there. the way, the gray ghost, um, Dennis Quaid <laughs> in the great movie, if you recall, everybody's all American. Yeah. Jessica Lange also in that movie and yeah. Timothy Hutton, a young Timothy yeah. Hutton. Anyway, back to you, Dan. All right, so let's look at this five-year chart of the NDX, though, because, again, we have a very, very steep line. And you look at that breakout level from November, you're right above the, the February 2020 high, the prior high. And, you know, we're like 40-some percent above that. I mean, it's just 
extraordinary. So I guess the point is we're below that uptrend, which is pretty steep. So, you know, given what you just said about the, the changing of the guard or the generals or whatever the heck you were kind of saying there, um, there's risk there. There's risk near term to about 12,000 um, if we were to see some of those generals underperform. Um, let's go to the VIX guy. You've been all over this and, and you've used it as a really good input here. And obviously, if you want to take out the March collapse and in, in, in the equity markets and that rise in the VIX above 80, you see basically a series of lower highs here, but it's unable to break 20, which was that breakout level before the market crashed. What is the VIX telling you here just a few percent from the all-time highs in the SPX? You had, that, you had that bizarre Friday that the VIX actually closed below 20, but you backed that out as well. And this 20 and a half, 21 level has been support on a number of different occasions. And each time, and we've mentioned this on macro setups over the last few months, every time it trades down there in terms of the VIX, it's been within a day or two of a, a broader market sell-off. And again, I think we're on the verge of that once again. We were correct in our assumption last week, and I think we're going to be correct this week. I mention it because the moves from 21 to 30 in the VIX over the course of a few hours on any of these given days is really significant because they typically happen on all those sell-offs in the broader market, rather benign sell-offs given where we are. So I would continue to say this VIX is on a hair trigger. And one of these days, these sell-offs are not going to be met by demand. They're going to be met by further selling in the broader market. And that's going to take this VIX, which is 21 and a half, 22 now, back to that 40 level, which we saw, I think, last June. So 21 on the downside support, 40 on the upside, and sort of you can do what you can do in the middle. But the way this VIX trades on, again, rather benign sell-offs in the broader market, to me, is extraordinarily concerning, Dan Nathan. You know, every time I hear you say one of these days, I think of the tremendous Foo Fighters song these days where they say the ground will move below your feet. And and that's really what should come out mm-hmm. each yeah. time. Each time they're guy down me. All right, let's is go. That, wait a second. Hold on. Is that is the Food Fighters? Is that that Dave Grohl character? Yeah, do, do we like him? And, and you know what's funny? He is a character. He's probably one of the coolest guys in rock and roll. He was obviously the drummer for Nirvana, and he started the Food Fighters a few years um, after that band broke up. Um, and they've been they've just been a monster over the last you know twenty five years or so. I think a real unsung rock and roll yeah. band. To be very frank with you, we'll ask Peter Hanks about that later. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, let's go to Bitcoin real quickly. I'm going to run through these charts, and then I really want to get your take what it means from a sentiment standpoint, because you and I don't have any particular, um, you know, kind of uh, I don't know insight into what you know Bitcoin, whether you buy, sell it, hold it here, other than just kind of looking at the charts. Here's the year-to-date chart. Here we're hovering a little above forty-eight thousand, down from about fifty-eight thousand um, a week and a half ago, and forty-five thousand looks like that breakout level um, from early February. So just keep an eye on that. Obviously, below the uptrend that's been in place um, from late January. When you look at the one-year chart, though, you see the absolute explosion. You know, we went from uh, five thousand to ten thousand um, in the spring into the summer. Then we went from ten thousand um, early fall to 20,000 very quickly. And 20,000, we'll go back to why that was really important. Um, And then we've just seen these ramps here, right? So it was up 100% nearly from its January lows um, to its early February highs. And then just here's the five-year log chart. And that's why that 20,000 um, was so yeah. important here. Bre- that breakout, you know, when it went from 20,000, went straight to 40,000, then almost um, to 60,000. And I just bring this up because this is the one that everyone's really focused on. But we have a chart here or a list of the top 10 um, crypto market caps from CoinMarketCap um, here. And you see that, you know, Bitcoin was uh, above a trillion 
um, momentarily Ethereum, which is very different than um, Bitcoin, you know, smart contracts, a lot of really good stuff, really good technologies built um, on top of that, but nearly 200 billion um, in market cap. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff you never heard of. And this is the stuff why we're kind of showing this top 10 here, because, you know, look at Chainlink down there um, at number eight with a $12 billion market cap. You know, this is the DeFi protocol. This company, or it's not a company. I mean, that's the thing. We're programmed to think this way. What's going on with Chainlink is that they want to, uh, you know, dis- uh, intermediate a lot of financial services products uh, or, or processes, that sort of thing. But that token has a $12 billion mm-hmm. market cap. There's no earnings that accrue to that. There are no um, dividends that accrue to that. That's what investors are thinking about. And this brings me back to 1999 or so when we're seeing a lot of dot-coms come out that had um, they were pre-earnings, obviously. They did have some revenues, that sort of thing. And they were just basically protocol tokens for what might be the new technology. So I think it's really important to kind of take a look under the hood every once in a while. What does it all mean to you from a sentiment standpoint? I know that was a lot, but I'm just curious as you're thinking the, about the fr- I mean, the sentiment speaks to exactly what we've been talking about. The frothiness is there and the seeming, seemingly, seeming belief that you know the market's impervious to sell-offs and all these asset classes are just going to go higher on the back of whatever. Yeah. is really startling to me. And you mentioned, so, you know, you've mentioned these NFTs and yeah. uh, top shelf and all the things that are going on in that That's world. Right. And I, I look at a top shot, top, not top shelf. Top shelf is something else, I'm sure. But you understand what I'm saying. I, I mean, do. it's concerning to me. And, and again, I think people have been emboldened by the fact that the sell-ups last, you know, less than a day, two days. Bitcoin went down, think about it, went down almost 25% in probably two or three trading days from 58,000 to 43,000. but yeah. Again, the buy the dippers and the holdovers continue to get bailed out. There's going to come a day to that Dave Grohl and Food Fighter song that you mentioned, yeah. but that's not going to be the case. And when that happens, when you start to see a breakdown, it's going to be across asset classes. I don't think anything's going to be spared. So when I look at this, I say, you know, we're probably you're talking about adding all these things up, something around $1.3 trillion worth of market cap-ish. You know, maybe we'll get close to that two trillion, which is twenty percent of the gold market. But it's going to be fits and starts before we get there. Yeah, I think you made a really good point. The last two times we've had material sell-offs in the stock market, let's just look at the S and P five hundred in in Q four two thousand eighteen when the S and P went down twenty percent, Bitcoin got cut in half, and then um, again in Q one two thousand and twenty when the S and P went down thirty five percent, Bitcoin got uh, went down sixty percent. So we're going to see how correlated um, crypto is to traditional risk assets like stock market. I suspect. That a lot of these Robinhood crowds, a lot of this Reddit crowd, a lot of the crypto guys, the guys and gals, they're all in the same stuff together. When you start losing money in everything that you own, you look for the most liquid things to sell. Um, and so we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Um, all right. Before we get to Peter, let's go to yields. Um, this is really mm-hmm. the most important mm-hmm. guy. You've been all over this here. Let's just focus on the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Um, I have this one-year chart here. And, and like I said, it bounced off of that. Um, that uptrend that's been in place since 50 bips in August. Tell me what's going on here on this one-year chart. I got a couple lines here. Speak to the lines. You know, break it out. What does it mean for stocks? What does it mean for 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 currencies and that sort of thing? And just in general. Well, last so Friday you saw ten-year yields trade. I I want to say close to 1.56 percent. So we obviously jumped right through the levels we talked about for a while. That was the bad news. The good news, I think for equity bulls is the fact that we reverse late in the day and 10-year yields, I think, close around 1.42%. Now, you mentioned SCUBA, which 
as you know, Dan, is self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. I do know. And why did I mention that on CNBC's Fast Money? Because not in terms of um, what it means, but in terms of how quickly rates went higher. So you can dive down to a certain depth like we did in August in the 10-year yield down to 53 basis points. But to rise back up, you have to do it slowly and you have to do it gradually. Well, and it was anything but gradual over the last couple of months. And I said, the market's going to get the bends. And you were listening in the car and you said, that's really smart. I know that because you texted me at the time. And I think the market is going to get the bends. Now, it's good news that we traded back down to 1.42%. But I think this is just temporary. I think we're going to have the next leg higher again. Now, you'll say correctly that yields are still low. I will say on the other side is, yeah, yields are still low. But the speed with which we're moving is going to be a real problem for the broader market. And I think if we look at the next chart, Dan, that speaks to exactly that. The reason why we stopped is the exact reasons that 2012 low in yields, that 2016 low in yields, and subsequently maybe 19 as well, this one and a half percent level. But, you know, I think we're about to explode through it on the upside. And I think that's going to be a problem for the equity market. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, because, you know, you just want to go to this 30 year chart now, the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield. And you see that upper left to the bottom right. And in 2018, the one time that we kind of broke that um, downtrend, what happened? Stocks went down literally 20 percent in a straight line. And then obviously the Fed changed their tune on, on their on their tightening stance and rates started moving lower. And then the pandemic happened and they went uh, took, you know, Fed funds to zero and they were racing against against global central banks to do the same and, and the bottom fell out. So to me, you know, you could say it overshot to the downside. Well, it can only go to zero, right? I mean, that's really what happened here. And if you look at real rates, you know, that's where they went. And you look at negative yields um, all over the, the globe, 15 trillion in sovereign debt. I mean, dude, they're not going anywhere. I mean, so to my point, that's why I drew that line. You might get to 2%. You might get to two and a quarter, but they're not going meaningfully higher. And then what you have to do, guy, is that, you know, the global economy has to kind of think about, to your point, is, is debt to GDP and debt to market cap and debt to all the stuff that they're focused on. So to me, um, you know, I just think that this debt load um, just is, is basically a self-fulfilling prophecy that rates can never go meaningfully higher on a percentage basis going from 50 bips in the 10-year to two is going to be an awful lot, especially if we do it in a, you know, in a, in a year or so. But you know, I, I don't I don't see them ever going meaningfully higher. So that's my take. And no, again, that, that's fair. I mean, I think and you duded me. So that means you're upset at me. I like when you do that. <laughs> that's good. This this is where our paths sort of go on different courses. And I would say this. You're right. We're probably not going to go meaningfully higher than two percent. But that move from this potential move from one point four, five percent, two percent is going to be painful for certain asset classes. And although rates will still be cheap, I think so much has been predicated on low yields that if we just have even this slight move to the upside, I think the market's going to take its cues. But that's what makes markets, as they say, Dan. And I think we should go on to the U.S. dollar next yeah. just to take a look at what's going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, is it the rate rise is the thing that is the dollar trying to bottom here? Look at the Dixie, you know, and it's kind of it broke down, um, you know, that 92 level yep. um, back in November. And, you know, then we've just kind of seen this banging around below that resistance. Um, you know, it was kind of tracking that downtrend from the March lows, if you look at that. And it looked as if just a few trading days ago. Um, that the Dixie was going to break that. And then that prior resistance is going to be more impactful 
um, resistance if it were going to take out that January low, um, but it didn't happen. And, and and I think that has to do with the fact that the, the rate rise, um, we'll get Peter's take on it, but let's go to the next chart really quickly because that's the short term. Here's the five years. Just speak to this guy. You Listen, I got to give you a ton of credit. You know, you've been saying the dollar's going lower from the time when, you know, the Dixie was back above um, 100. And for you guys out there trading crypto or trading stocks or trading whatever, and you're like, ah, 100 to 90, you know, that's not much of a move. In the US dollar, the most, you know, l- the largest kind of risk instrument on the planet, you know, um, that's a huge move. So a big move. Yeah. Talk to it. No, I mean, but you've also said correctly that you didn't see it meaningfully breaking through that 88 level on the downside, whereas I thought, and I still think it, it's going to, but I got to tell you, the last couple of weeks, have been difficult to continue to hold on to that. Now, you know, that prior chart, you, you drew that line and we've broken that line on the upside. Now it looks like that 92 level is absolutely in the crosshairs. And we're going to see what happens in terms of that dollar trade. Maybe people, maybe the market got two consensus in their view. And maybe finally the dollar is taking its cue from yields going higher. Dollars should rally if yields go higher. And that's what we're finally seeing for a long time. They were moving, um, one was moving lower in the form of the dollar, one was moving higher in the form of rates, and now things seem to be evening out. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, I'm hard-pressed to believe we're going to have a huge move through 92, just given everything we talked about at the top of the macro setup in terms of all the stimulus or relief packages coming and the fact that now we have close to $30 trillion in debt, but we'll see. I'm curious to see what Peter Hanks says, and maybe it's a good time to bring him in. Peter Hanks, the strategist from Daily FX. Peter, thanks for joining us. Hey, Guy, Dan, thanks for having me. Good to be here. So you've been stuck listening to us for the last 20 <laughs> minutes or so. Um, you know, what do you take on some of the macro themes you talked about? And then we'll drill down in terms of the dollar and some of the things that you're seeing. Yeah, so macro, uh, I very much think that the U.S. 10-year yield is the one to watch right now. It kind of seems to be the driving factor behind a lot of these other moves, especially in uh, the NASDAQ generals, I think, as you called them. Uh, Those stocks, the Facebooks, Microsoft, Apples, they were dragging the rest of the indices higher in March onwards, kicking and screaming, if you will. Uh, That's that's a newer age reference, maybe a Will Ferrell movie for you guys. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. It was trying, and those stocks came along. And now that we're you know, bumping up against the S&P 500 dividend yield, we're seeing the NASDAQ break down through that pretty key trend line support. Uh, and that's kind of on the back of this rate move, I think. So moving back to the dollar here, I think one of the key factors that could actually see a jolt above 92, maybe even take a look at 94, is continued risk off in the equity markets. If we see some more fear there, some more risk aversion, you might get a little bit of a flight to the dollar so that even if you know the fundamental landscape hasn't changed too much, that shorter term flight to safety could uh, feed into some dollar gains there. So Peter, dollar rates, these are obviously you know very important inputs uh, to equity valuations. Um, so you know you just mentioned the, those generals like we talked about, you know they've been huge beneficiaries of this low rate environment. They've also been beneficiaries for a number of the mitigation attempts for um, you know the virus here. Um, so do you think though 
that rate, you know, like Guy was just saying that, you know, we could see one, four to two uh, in the U.S. Uh, you know, 10-year yield pretty quickly. What do you think the impact would be on, on equities if we were to see that, let's say, over the next few months? Because let's just, you know, let's say this, that we're, we're thinking about herd immunity by, let's say, some point at the end of the summer and, and really a fully reopened economy at some point in the fall, which would include schools and everything like that. Um, what, what is your take on yields and, and how high do you think they could go? So I think there's kind of a hard cap in there at some point, um, maybe two. We've already seen just this morning ECB officials considering yield curve control. Mm -hmm. So if we see a continued rise in rates here in the United States, are we going to get some of that as well? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's too early to say at this point in time. But as for their impact on equities, uh, I think the NASDAQ is probably the most vulnerable out of the three U.S. indices. Again, though, any sort of weakness off of the back of rising rates, I think, would be a shorter term concern. Uh, You know, yes, rates are rising and that's putting pressure on equities. But against the longer term backdrop, there are some absurd GDP forecasts coming out for the United States. I mean, we're talking eight to 12 percent. And for an economy that's already the largest in the world, twenty one trillion dollars, eight to 10 percent. On top of that, I mean, that's just that's incredible. So there's really some some signs out there that uh, U.S. growth could really pick up and that could be pretty dollar positive. Uh, And that's a concern going forward for the dollar and for rates. Uh, But over the longer term, I think it would be bullish for equities. You know, in the next three to five years, I would still be comfortable being in tech stocks. Yeah, and I think you brought some charts along for, for the viewing audience, Peter. So maybe we can start to speak to some of those. Here's your first one: a um, lot of lines, a um, lot to look at. What are we? What are you out? What are you showing us here? Right. So this is a chart going back to 2008 uh, Euro USD. I'd like to draw your attention to the bottom right, where we're breaking out of that really decade-long downtrend on the euro. Euro is the largest portion of the Dixie. So kind of whichever way the euro goes, the Dixie is generally going to follow in that direction. Uh, The euro is breaking out to the top side. Now, over the last few weeks, we've seen a little bit of consolidation, much like that consolidation we saw uh, last month, month and a half ago, where we kind of sought out support uh, on that top side of the descending trend line. But if I were to look at this chart, and then bring it back to Dixie, and we're seeing the largest component of the Dixie break higher, that could signal some further weakness here for the dollar. So I think we're very much on a, an inflection point for a lot of these markets. Um, major trend lines are being tested, being broken. I mean, we're talking about 10-year-long trends here. So yeah. uh, keep an eye on the euro. So, Peter, for some of the viewers out there who who trade very technically, I look at a chart like this and and you drew some great lines here and you see that breakout. And that's obviously informing your opinion here. If, if we were to go back and test, though, that downtrend and then fail, um, are, are we looking back at that jan- retest of that January low really quickly? And then, you know, you look at the, the lows that they put in over the last few months. You know, is that the trade? Once it breaks that downtrend, you know what I mean? Like right now, it looks bullish. And if it retests that downtrend and then bounces off, you're going to say the more times it does that, the more likely it is to go higher, correct? Just, just give us right. a sense for some of like how you use some of these technical inputs. So a lot of it comes down to your time frame, but I think let's play to the, you know, month out time frame here. So 
with that in mind, the consolidation that we're seeing now uh, is very much encouraging for a longer term outlook, in my opinion. You can say, okay, we're pulling back a little bit, consolidating, maybe let some of the air out of the bubble, letting uh, bulls get back in and look to the top side. So that's how I'm viewing it from a bullish perspective. However, if we do break down to that descending trend line again, and we start testing it and even break beneath, that's when you would look to you know set levels of invalidation, maybe set a stop on top of right. that trend line and look for some uh, some movement beneath that line still. Yeah, it's interesting. The longer we go sideways, to your point, the more inclined we are to probably break that prior high, that, that sort of that third or fourth line on the trend line uh, to, if you go towards your left. So whatever that level is, I can't really make it out, but you could probably speak to it. The next chart, I think, is interesting as well if you want to pull that up. Yeah, so now we're looking at a daily chart of the dollar CAD. Again, similar thing, a, a longer downtrend, this one only going back to March 2020, so still kind of in the COVID era. Uh, but we've had multiple tests on this trend line. And just this week and last week, we had a, a bullish move up to that, a really aggressive one at that. Uh, but the trend line pretty much held firm. Uh, so at this point, that suggests maybe some CAD strength coming back into the fold. We're seeing a little bit of weakness in oil over the last few sessions, but uh, that commodity super cycle that everyone's been talking about, I still think has some legs. And I think that could lead into some further uh, dollar CAD weakness here. So looking to kind of ride out another move lower. At that point in time, you'd look for uh, a break above any of these trend lines uh, to kind of invalidate that thesis. Um, but we're at some pretty major support yeah. over the last few years. This dates back, that orange area dates back to 2018. Mm -hmm. um, that's a pretty major level. So, so Peter, when you use the term super cycle, and that's obviously something that a lot of strategists use or analysts and, and pundits alike, you know, we, we use that uh, expression every once in a while when it's just kind of like going to be a massive secular wave, right? That's going to kind right. of change. How do you, you know, you just use dollar cat as one way to play that if you think there's this global reflation trade and you think it's going to be commodity led. Are, are there any other risk instruments out there that you think are kind of maybe under the radar for our viewers to think about? Or sometimes it doesn't even have to be the, uh, under the radar. It could be kind of the, the, the most consensus thing because sometimes, you know, as an example in the stock market, the most consensus uh, super cycle play over the last 10, 15 years in technology has been Apple. And it's worked. It's a $2 trillion nope. market cap company. So are there any really obvious things uh, out there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think you have to go digging for anything really obscure. And with that being said, you can look to uh, currencies that are just more sensitive to commodities. So we have dollar CAD here, which is sensitive to crude oil. Yeah. Uh, along those same lines, we can look at the Aussie dollar, which is more sensitive to just commodities in general, uh, especially as they feed the super economy that's China. Um, very tightly correlated with global growth, with commodities. So if we are banking on this commodity super cycle, then you would expect further growth in Aussie dollar. Um, and we're not quite to any carry trade levels yet, but if rates continue to rise, you know, that could be a few years down the line, perhaps. And that's that's a whole different conversation. 
Yeah, and let's talk about gold because obviously, you know, I was right about it for a while, but I've been wrong about it now for quite some time. It just can't get out of its own way. You know, I really thought we were going to sort of blow through those prior all-time highs vis-a-vis the weaker dollar, vis-a-vis some of these inflation concerns. But here we are at gold languishing, Peter. Do you think it's a function of maybe too many people thought the same thing? Oh, and by the way, Bitcoin went from 20000 to effectively 60000 over the course of time when gold sort of languishes? Is it just that simple? I think it is getting fairly simple at this point. I mean, the downtrend is pretty clear cut from August. You know, it's just been a, a super clean series of lower highs and lower lows. And to me, that's pretty much all you need to, you know, mark a bearish trend here. So I think the rising competition for gold, uh, as you mentioned, Bitcoin, also rising yields. If you're looking for, you know, a safe haven, why park your money in gold, which has been trending downward for a few yeah. months, you know, when you can get 1.5% from a risk-free investment. Uh, so there's some competition out there. I don't see gold really breaking this downtrend anytime soon. Uh, sh- sure, over the shorter time frame, maybe you know a couple days if you want to get in, get out. Then you could look to you know maybe ride a bounce off support on some of these lower levels, uh, seventeen fifty or thereabouts, even lower. Uh, but yeah, over the longer term, I think something fundamentally needs to change uh, for me to get back bullish on gold. And and really, I'd want to see this series of lower highs and lower lows broken before um, I change my tune. No, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, you have to you have to admit when you're sort of been wrong, you can't be so dogmatic as I tend to be once in a while with gold. But I guess if I'm looking for a catalyst, maybe it comes in the form of the U.S. dollar, that Dixon that we talked about, meaningly, meaningfully closing below that 88 level. Maybe that's sort of your line in the sand. And until then, gold's a no touch. Anyway, Peter, we want to thank you for joining us on the macro setup. Is this your second or third time? I know I should know this, but I know it's at least two. Yeah, this is my third time. And and thanks so much for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Great, well, we're great. definitely going to have you back. Sorry, Dan, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Peter, thank you very much. Great insight. We just wanted to get one quick take from you. We were thinking of renaming the macro setup um, these days. And, and and you know, we just used the uh, the Dave Grohl uh, lyric from the song these days. <laughs> one of these days, the ground will drop below your feet or beneath your feet. I mean, that's really what happened here with gold over the last um, six to nine months or so, Guy. But, you know, you had a great call, um, you know, a year ago on that thing. And it kind of overshot to the upside. I think it's a great example, though, with gold um, that, you know, the technicals are really telling you something. And I think it's great, Peter. You come here every time you come on the macro setup armed with charts. You're not dogmatic, as Guy says. And sometimes you just kind of have to go with the price action, despite what the qualitative news Uh, is telling you there. Right. There we go. I like what you did there, Dan. Well, Peter, once again, thank you. Third time, as they say, is a charm. You'll definitely be back. I want to thank Dan Nathan, the great risk reversal, despite making fun of me throughout this today. I thought we did a good job. I also want to give a sort of a shout out to Will Chamberlain, the late Will Chamberlain, who on this day 59 years ago put up 100 spot against the Knicks, Dan, as you may or may not remember. I also want to thank our presenting sponsor, IGUS, the fastest growing foreign exchange dealer in North America. We'll see you back next week, folks.